0: In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer.
1: Welcome again to the Digital Doers podcast on the Oil & Gas Global Network. And um, we are the largest uh, podcast community uh, in the oil and gas industry uh, with the forecasts that we'll hit 3 million downloads sometimes in 2022. Um, Don't think we've got quite that many just for the digital doers, but... I'm, I'm, I can dream, and and certainly are happy that uh, those of you that are joining us have hit all the right buttons to be here. We've got a really exciting um, guest today, uh, someone with uh, a lot of experience on a topic that impacts every one of us every day, and also every company out there. So I'm real anxious for us to talk with Dr. Sangwan Kim uh real quickly here. But before we, we do that, I want to say a little bit about HPE. They're the folks that make it possible for you to hear from po- folks like uh, Dr. Kim. And if, check them out on their website at hpe.com. In particular, take a look at their new uh, Green Lake. They're calling it their Edge to Cloud platform. And uh, the notion is it's all about bringing the cloud to you uh, so you can have that experience uh, at your edges, at, at co-location sites, uh, at your wherever your data and your apps reside. It's about bringing that experience to you. And I think that's important because uh, we hear that still about 70% of a company's data and apps um, are still on-premise. So uh, this platform is all about trying to give you that cloud experience uh, wherever you want. Okay, all right. So uh, we're here, as I mentioned, with uh, Dr. Sangwan Kim, and he is the uh, a partner and the global energy practice lead with SDG, which stands for Strategic Decision Groups. And so uh, uh, sang Juan is going to talk to us today about making high-quality decisions. And so I guess before I start, I'm just curious, um, sang Juan, did you really get a PhD and your dissertation was on making decisions?
0: It, it was. Um, thanks for having me, Joanne. Um, it, it's interesting. A it decision is something that Well, we all do. Um, I hear that we make thousands of decisions even on an everyday basis. So it's kind of strange that you actually go to graduate school and get a PhD in decision making. But it turns out that there's actually a way and and systematic process that you can go through to make sure that you're making best decisions possible. So yes, that's what I've studied at Stanford. And uh, I've worked with a group of colleagues who made a profession out of it. And that's SDG, Strategic Decisions Group.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So, so tell us, Sangwon, what, what is the SDG secret sauce for making high-quality decisions?
0: Well, in a way, it's actually pretty simple. Um, so when, when you make decisions, you want to think about uh, six elements of decisions. So the first is frame. Make sure that you know what decisions you're making. And secondly, you consider choices. It's alternatives. And then thirdly, it's you uh, consider high quality and relevant information. Often the challenge is uh, either lack of relevant information or too much information where there is a lack of the information that you're really looking for. And then make sure you know what you want. Uh, these are the values and value metrics. And then fifth, make sure that you put all those elements together in a logical fashion. And the s- final element, the sixth element, is commitment to action uh you, once you know what the best choice is, then you have to have the commitment to be able to follow through so that you can actually take the action and get the value um, you need. So the idea is that uh, these six sound uh, pretty simple and, um, and, and common sense, um, but you also want to be able to distinguish the outcome versus the decision. Just because you made the best decision possible, it does not necessarily guarantee that you get the, uh, that get the best outcome. So you also want to be able to uh, distinguish between the decisions you make and the outcome. Although when you make good decisions all the time, chances are you will realize good outcomes uh, most of the time as well.
1: You certainly, I guess, increase your probability of getting good outcomes uh, by going through a, a disciplined process
0: yep, you're absolutely right so I mentioned one element is as an as information and um, um, as a third element of decision quality so you have to realize that there are a lot of things that you do not control uh, but you basically do make a very calculated uh, bet and you ensure the best chance of achieving the uh, the most favorable outcome that you're looking for
1: okay so, This, so um, which, about how long does it, does this process go through when you're working with companies or is it variable or?
0: It's very variable. So, so one thing is it, it it does not have to be process heavy, if you will. And then the process of going through these six different elements of decision-making has to fit uh the objective and the context of the decision if you have a very important decision to make but you if you have only three days there is a way to go through the process that fits those three days versus if you want to involve a broad group of people within the organization and consider a wide range of alternatives and make sure that you do some really uh, robust set of analysis. It may take uh, multiple months to go through this. But the important part is those six elements is really the destination and the objective, not the process or some kind of checklist.
1: Okay. All right. So interesting. So from your experience, which of these six elements do companies struggle with the most? Is there one that
0: that that current? yeah, that's really interesting. I've seen um, companies not coming through in in just about every one of those. Um, I think there's an increasing awareness of having to have a good frame, um, so make sure you know what you're doing, you know, before you you know, take any actions. I think companies have qu- come quite a long way in getting the frame um, and and uh, kind of recognize the importance and the, uh, the following through on that. Um, I think on the information front, there's, there's even more greater uh, volume of information than ever uh, with, the, uh, with the advance of the computing power. But I s- we still see a lack of information about the future. Um, and another part um, is, the, uh, is the value. I mentioned there's the fourth element, Companies are increasingly having to trade off financial metrics against the non-financial metrics. So that's one of the the biggest kind of advances that I see in the last couple of years with the uh, with the advance of ESG and energy transition. So that's something companies I feel I feel that uh, just opening their eyes up to. But it's really not any different uh, from what they have faced in the past. Uh, it's just that now we have to. Um, the, uh, balance between financial and non-financial. And I've seen companies, um, time and time again, uh, basically, uh, be faced with a great set of analysis and very clear recommendation, but not being able to follow through. Um, so I think I ended up touching upon the, just about all of those six elements.
1: Okay. So say a bit more, Sangwon, about the commitment. What is it uh, that, that's making it particularly difficult.
0: It, it, good point. Um, I, the, um, Is go it back because to, it's yeah.
1: unfamiliar with the, this balance between financial and kind of non-financial
0: it, 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 that, that could be one. And, um, um, you know, do you really, um, uh, are you really ready to take an action that, uh, may actually erode some value for the, the sake of um, uh, basically achieving some other metrics that are important. The, the, the example that I've seen, um, I've worked with a uh, 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 basically natural gas uh, discoverer um, who had who had discovered a large amount of natural gas in, in somewhere in the East Asia. And then it was pretty clear what the technology has to be. Uh, that gas discovery was in a very remote location, so they have to have this um, uh, uh, very novel technology in in building a, a floating LNG. Uh, but it was the uh, basically world's first. Um, application of such technology it took another actually more than a decade for another basically the first application to come up so in that case it was pretty clear what the right uh, decision was but the management was just wasn't wasn't convinced enough didn't feel comfortable being the world's first basically to okay. to to come through so that's one example that i've seen yeah and yeah i just it's just to add on that i think it shows that decision making is still very personal, um, so it is it, a very um, and and some for some people it, it's actually quite challenging to make it a transparent and a process where they would want to systematically involve others. Uh, but even after they kind of clear the hurdle of having a process to involve people in the process, still somebody has to make a call at uh, the um, at the end of the day, and that that is more about something motion feeling and, and personal process um, as opposed to all these other objective and, and, and transparent ones. So that's, okay. uh, that's where it comes from.
1: So at some point, whoever that final decision maker is has to feel confident um, about either what is he seeing on paper and reports and hearing from folks, but it's hard to give up what his gut feel is telling him.
0: Uh, well, correct. Hard, I yeah. I guess, especially when they're in conflict, um, if you okay. will. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's still very, uh, very personal, uh, a process. In okay. Industry.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And so, um, wh- what role does technology play at all today in improving decision quality?
0: Well, I, I think uh, one aspect uh, that has really progressed is uh, is advance of computing power um, and and the additional the technologies advancement in that area. I, I'm proud to say that some of the kind of the early, uh, in my early career, some of the Excel models that I've built uh, for companies, to be able to evaluate choices for their uh, for their decisions, some of them s- were still using it after a couple of decades. So I guess that kind of shows the importance of having a tool and uh, making sure that you you know uh, you follow through on that. Recently, we had a very uh, interesting collaboration with a software startup who has uh, developed a uh, uh, this tool where it generates a. Uh, Uh, quite a few uh, feasible alternatives for deep water concept decision making. Uh, Basically, it's got a set of database and set of rules. So once you give it a certain set of conditions, the geographical location, reservoir property, and some really high level parameters of the development, it constructs alternatives on its own. Could be in uh, dozens or maybe even hundreds, all feasible, and then also evaluates uh, those alternatives as well. So what that does is uh, it, the uh, uh, could uh, potentially really um, accelerate um, and save the time on alternative generation and the evaluation, really helping with a couple of elements in the decision making. Um, so we were able to leverage that software, um, the outputs from it. Um, to really have a more dialogue uh, with the decision maker about um, getting the insights um, out of the analysis, and uh, building that uh, comfort, if you will, and and confidence in with the uh, with the insights and uh, um, and development concepts chosen. So that's uh, one of the examples. The one thing I want to be able to connect to that personal. Um, aspect of decision making so we've done some collaboration and realized that there are a set of additional outputs the software can actually incorporate to make it a more complete kind of decision support software but the but the uh, the president of of the software startup mentioned uh, made this very interesting remark where they actually intentionally do not want to go far that far to kind of Incorporate additional decision elements, because that would actually be seen as taking that uh, decision making as in control away from the decision makers. So he thought it would be best to kind of have this uh, uh, evolving the uh, the outputs and interpreting them to support decisions separate from the uh, from the software, which I think is a is a great kind of way to think about how decision. Uh, the uh, digital technologies can be incorporated or integrated with the decision-making.
1: Interesting. So if I understand, let me see if I understand, if prior or in other uh, situations where you aren't talking about deep water development, which is where this software is focused on, I think, And so in other situations, when you're doing the choices, it's kind of a brainstorm with everyone there. And with this software, instead of starting with a a blank post-it note sheet, you actually have some starter material or some, some seed options, if you will.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, it comes with a set of, if you will, a uh, vast array of choices that have been already defined okay. as a set of uh, the conceptual alternatives to develop a deep water asset. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. So that's interesting. I think that's yeah. really interesting. Because the other thing is possible, I guess, is that um, the, the software might come up with some options that uh, even a brainstorming group of folks might not come up with.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's a software or some digital technology to be uh, very powerful in that it can think of basically all the possible combinations and then have this logic of only picking or identifying those ones that are feasible. Um, And that is a quite... uh, uh, the, uh, um, time um, consuming process. And it's usually done in, in a manual fashion. And a lot of the times I would say decisions are unique enough that you really want to think about specific set of choices for the decision at hand. But in a case like deep water, um, uh, development decision or decisions that have been made many times over the years, you can construct a logic, uh, basically and build a database underneath, um, to, uh, the, uh, the propose or come up with the initial set of alternatives that can be, um, considered
1: and kind, kind of expanding on perhaps what people maybe that have been doing this a long time, cause it is easy. I assume to kind of get a bit of a bias. Uh, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, correct. I mean, there it's, it's challenging the team. To make sure that we have a, you know, the diverse and really wide range of alternatives. That's one of the big challenges in in the process. And then hopefully, a tool like this could to, to help us yeah. uh, fight that
1: yeah. more effectively. Right. Excellent. Okay, so let me ask you this: You've been doing this for over twenty years. So, how have the topics? Um, changed in the in the oil and gas industry the types of decisions Uh, maybe you mentioned one uh, just a few minutes ago but I wonder how how decisions are changing or have you seen them changing
0: yeah good question I mean in the oil and gas industry uh, the the folks have really adopted a uh, a way to improve decisions because it's a it's an industry where it has to uh, bet on billions of dollars of capital on on projects that would have you know ten or twenty and years of, of of life. So classic high stake decision with with a lot of uncertainty. So what folks have started doing was okay. This process really works. So let's see if we can push this down to more kind of smaller ongoing investment decisions, which are still important so these decisions are not made every 10 years perhaps but every year or every maybe even every month Uh, but in terms of contribution to the bottom line of the company it's still very significant Um, so i've certainly seen a trend where companies are trying to use the process to kind of smaller more ongoing investment um, decisions and I mentioned digital technologies, the kind of the, being able to have a tool and system in place so that companies can use this over and over again has, um, has really taken off. And then I mentioned a little bit about the, uh, the trade-off between financial versus non-financial metrics. That really comes from the energy transition. Um, so I've seen the last couple of years. So it used to be that you can basically summarize everything down to NPV. Um, the net present value, um, whether it's uh, the, uh, the, any kind of technical um, risk, any kind of financial risk, of course, um, any subsurface risk, and, and so forth. But now uh, we are seeing companies really thinking about the trade-off between, okay, if I can reduce our carbon intensity or carbon emissions this much, what does that mean in terms of the value on the MPV side? And how do I make the conscious trade-off? So that the last bit on energy transition decision is is a, a huge sea change that I see in the last couple of years in the, with companies.
1: And that's a challenge. That's challenge.
0: Yeah, I I would. Um, so let me take a step back. I think guess industries have been around. Know probably a couple of you know uh, at least uh, at least hundred years or more or maybe a couple hundred years, and the the, the industry has dealt with some of the most challenging decisions. Um, I would say whether that is uh, you know making deep water, for example, um, discovery and be able to produce them. The whole uh, revolution behind the uh, behind the shale, um, and also making. Um, the LNG of possibility, for example. So, the technology wise, I, I although there are some really new technologies that have to come down in terms of cost curve, CCS, hydrogen, and and renewables, um, you know, that's there. But I think I, I think companies can can work with that, and 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 we will come through. the The challenge uh, comes in. Kind of, there are additional challenges um, that come with energy transition. One is this incredibly long term time horizon. I, Joanne, you've been around the industry you know, for a long time. I'm not sure if we can ever recall a time where companies are looking at like objectives and ambitions re- literally 30 years down the road, 2050. And that's such an enormously long time scale. I, that I don't think human really has a good ability to understand how things will evolve over that period, but granted, do we have to work backwards in terms of you know where we want to get to in 2050? So be able to grasp with this um, such a long term time horizon and how that should translate to their near term activities. I th- I think that's a huge challenge the companies haven't having. Um, you know, and not as experienced in. And then related to that, another part is this whole ongoing energy transition to reduce carbon emissions is not just a, a interaction between the energy producer like oil and gas companies or power producers and the consumers, two very basic entities of energy transition. It will require some significant intervention and incentives from the policymakers, as in government. And also, we need a set of technology providers who will invest and provide the technologies so that we can reduce carbon intensity of the fuel. And then also, given the enormous scale of investment, we need financiers, banks and um, the, the private equities and, and others who are willing to invest and fund uh, this uh, uh uh, Basically, unprecedented um, level of investment. So that recognizing that uh, kind of ecosystem of energy transition, um, I, I think is another uh, another challenge.
1: And there's a lot of unknowns that are inherent in these three additional stakeholder groups, in addition to just the energy producer and the energy consumer. Um, I got to believe there's a range of policy options that people are considering. There's a range of technologies and then I guess a range also, I'm not as much up on the, the banking and but but the same thing on financial. Um, and so that's got to make it, as you're thinking about those ESG type decisions, the energy transition type decisions, Um, The the number of variables, it it gets really large and Uh, options and alternatives.
0: (laughs) You're absolutely right. And in a way, each one of these five entities can only control their own decisions. So for for, uh, energy producer, decisions made by technology developers who are investing in different kinds of technologies is an uncertainty. To them, so they have to make. They have to get um, an understanding of the some sense of how those technologies will evolve over time, and then would you know reflecting on that, um, they would have to make decisions about how to basically either rebalance or uh, change their portfolio, for example. And how the consumers will adopt, for example, over time is another huge uncertainty. Uh, what level of incentives will be there? With the current incentives, will they go away? So that's a the uncertainty posed by uh, policymakers, um, as you mentioned. So the 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 each entity controlling their own decisions and facing uncertainties, which are actions taken by other entities in the system. So you're absolutely right. It's enormously complex and a lot of uncertainties.
1: And so, um, when you think about the ESG, um, how does SDG Really, what 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 where do you think you're you're most helpful there?
0: Well, thanks for asking um, us the question, um, Joanne. It, if we, the um, I would say two fronts. Given the complexity of the decisions that we've just talked about, enormous uncertainty in technology, mm-hmm. in in policy making, in in market adoption. So that's what exactly decision analysis in our profession has been designed for. You're making decisions today uh, in investing in certain technologies, investing in certain amount of development resources, reflecting... Uh, or, or uh, pondering upon the range of uncertainties and you are trying to make the best decision possible and you want to in- ensure that you have the, mat- the biggest probability of dis- achieving the most uh, favorable outcome. So it's a classic application of, of decision analysis. But more fundamentally, um, Joanne, when I introduce ourselves um, to our potential clients, I, I say that SDG is about G of ESG. So it's environmental... Uh, the social and governance, the G and governance is really all about decision-making. So you want to have a group of people come to an organization. You want to set it up such that those folks make the best decision possible for the organization. So we are the G of ESG.
1: That's excellent. That's a great way. And I would think given today's climate of where There's a great deal of demand for transparency from everywhere, Uh, whether it's inside the company and employees or outside the company, everybody, that transparency has become currency, I think. And so uh, the greater confidence, I would assume that these folks that have responsibility for governance can have I I suspect that helps them sleep at night a little bit. Uh,
0: uh, Yeah, and and being being transparent, as mentioned, is more valuable than ever, and that comes with uh, basically uh, that's predicated upon what we call a defensible decision. So you are able to say, all right, when we made this decision, we considered. These range of choices. We involved this set of people. We went through this process, and this is the uh, the analysis that we have considered, and we came down to the decision. So make it transparent, and that also make you uh, basically make a, a defensible um, decision. That even in the case that something unfortunate happens, something goes bad, then you are able to say, well, we still had a very good uh, basis for uh, for making decisions. Great,
1: great. Yeah, I would think that would be very helpful. And so t- tell me, Sangwon, what is the biggest challenge to your profession in advising companies uh, to make these high-stake decisions?
0: Well, um, yeah, the, the challenges, um, uh, a, a few. I, I, the, the, the complexity of the decision is is um, the uh, is growing with the with the advent of, of energy transition, but something that's something I think we know how to handle. the The, the second um, is something we kind of have to deal with. I mentioned that decision is a very personal um, process, so it's still hard to convince decision makers and people who are supporting the decision makers in the organization that it is. Uh, immensely valuable to work with someone who would bring a perspective from the outside unbiased and be able to facilitate a, a transparent and defensible decision process convincing folks we we everyone agrees that the companies are making some really high stake decisions but convincing people on the value of engaging a third party provider who specializes in it so that's uh that's still a challenge that we face and, and then the next challenge that I can think of is actually kind of related to the success um, of the the industry, or I guess our profession in, in helping companies make better decisions. So companies really have adopted for many, in, in, in many occasions, um, having a well-defined, transparent, and defensible um, decision process. But then what happens is kind of process is given too much emphasis so it becomes like a checklist and more often than not when people come up with a process they want to make it elaborate they want to develop a manual that's 600 pages long and it it becomes quite cumbersome and what that does is not that complex process is in itself is bad but if it does not um if if it is not a good fit with the the uh, core decisions to be made, then it basically uh, becomes a burden, and it slows decision making down. So you really want to be adept in uh, in applying the process. So it, I'm I'm I, I'm probably the definitely the minority um, out here. Um, to me, the whole agile movement is a bit of a backlash on making decision process so cumbersome in in some of the organizations, um, and. The, there's nothing wrong with agile. If if you can do things quicker, why would you do things slower? Um, the, the however, I don't think agile in and of itself is 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 not a silver bullet that will solve everything. Um, and I would I would go so far to say that agile may qualify as one of the fads that we have seen um, in the past. The the crux of it is. You can always make a design a decision process to fit the purpose. So do not you don't have to make it any more complicated or complex than it than it needs to be. I think there are many great um, elements from the agile that we can adopt, uh, and and rapid iteration, uh, uh, for example, and know when you can go fast and know where you need to go, go slow. I think those are all good ways to uh, incorporate. Uh, but this the third challenge is basically process being given to uh, too much emphasis.
1: Okay. Well, there is a s- saying, I don't remember where it came from, but it talks about the the danger, I guess, of being slaves to the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not doesn't mean that processes aren't good, but uh, like you said, uh, just assuming that one process is fit for purpose, uh, could potentially be a hindrance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You want to, you want to, you want to make sure that you could achieve the outcome,
1: yeah.
0: uh, which is high quality decision, not the, the, so the objective should not be going through the process.
1: Right. Okay. Well, great. Well, Wong, thank you very much for being here and talking to us about, like you said, something that we probably all think we do. Well, um, but there's some science it sounds like around uh maybe doing that a little better
0: yeah sure thank you for uh for having me and um i think oil and gas industry is is really advanced uh in 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 adopting a process and, and making good decisions and it's no certainly knows how to do that and and consider risks um and um but there are, there's always a room for improvement I
1: always guess. always excellent well thank you again Sangwon and thank you to all of you who have uh, joined us today as we talked with Dr Sangwon Kim of SDG about um, high quality decisions and also thank you again to our sponsor HPE Um, part of their GreenLake platform, and again, I'd encourage you to go to hpe.com and take a look. Uh, One of the things they want to do is try to help you simplify your IT management. And so one of the key features in this new GreenLake platform is the ability to manage and configure from a single location all of your shared services and assets across the entire IT inventory. And one of those management capabilities is actually to be able to track consumption real time almost um, to see and make sure that your investments are being utilized uh, to get the biggest bang for your buck. Thank you again, sang Won, and until next time, so long. All
0: right. Thanks, Joanne. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at
1: OGGN.com.